uh, on tights. Because we finished one job and uh, uh, we're starting tights this week. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. If you've got it up there, it'll <laughs> be good. Thank you. Thank you. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of, by the command of God as Saviour. Okay, Paul is writing to Titus. Titus got left behind in a church that was newly established on the island of Crete. Now, have you been to Crete? was uh, it's one of the many churches that Paul began and it was a group of people because of the island it, it was supposedly inhabited by people who were like had made money from the proceeds of crime perhaps um, pirates people like that who might uh, steal stuff thieves drunkards and there was even a saying about them which Paul quotes sometime in a letter that Cretans, you've heard the word Cretan, you're something Cretan, that's someone from Crete. So, a, a bad word that Paul started. All Cretans are lazy brutes. And yeah, something like that. So, they were well known. And uh, Paul's writing to that newly established church, and the newly established church has problems like all the churches do. They have false teachers that come in soon after, and um, you know, that people get confused and he reminds them of the gospel but he also writes this letter to tell Titus, set up some good leadership, some eldership and, uh, and, and teach uh, the truth to the people. But Paul starts like this. He says, I'm writing as an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Now we're going to go through this bit by bit. God's elect. You, got, you, you would have heard that throughout the Bible, would you? God's elect. And, and sometimes the Greek word there is uh, elect, and sometimes it's written as chosen. God's chosen. If you if the nation elects a leader, we've cho chosen a leader. So it, it, it carries that sort of uh, thought. But the, the thing is that what the Bible tells us is that God has, by his grace and his un, and undeserved love, he chooses people to be his treasured possessions. He elects people. And uh, we read this passage last night, service we have, but it said, The Lord did not set his affection on you or choose you, because you were more numerous than the other nations, for you were the fewest of all the people. It was because he loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers, and he brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and redeemed you. So God chose Israel not because they were particularly strong, they were the fewest of them, they were a small nation, they weren't great. 
And in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, so that was Deuteronomy 7, this is Deuteronomy 9, it says, After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, that's the people out of the land you're going to have, do not say to yourself, The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is coming to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of the land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and to Jacob. Understand then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Three times he said in that, I'm not giving you this land because you're righteous. I'm not giving you it the second time. He says, I'm not giving it because you've got integrity or righteousness. And the third time he says, to be honest, you're a stiff-necked people. Now, stiff-necked carries two. It's like you, you get tunnel vision and you're only going towards your own way and you won't go to another way. That's one way that stiff-necked is understood. The other way is stiff-necked is they refuse to bow their head. They refuse to bow before God. Uh, probably a combination of both really but what he's saying is I chose you because I chose you okay now that if we apply it to ourselves and we can because Paul does in this passage would give us incredible peace wouldn't it incredible security we belong to God based on his loving decision. That would make us far safer than if we were trying to impress him with our great ability and say, we deserve to be chosen, have a look at us. If you do that, you end up with lots of fears and lots of doubts. Right? In the New Testament, Jesus says this, and he uses the same word as, as uh, Titus, he says, many are called but few are chosen. That's a really interesting passage, isn't it? Many are called, and it's the same word for elected. Many are called, but few are elected. Now, the Greek word for elected is something like eklektos. Eklektos. And it's where you get the word we have, eclectic. And what does eclectic mean to us? You go to someone's house and say, well, they've got a very eclectic collection. What does it mean? Sorry? Just a random collection. Random. They've got some, what have they got there? The vases over here that are only from Persia. She only keep Persian ones. And then they've got the, I don't know, the pink curtain area over here. And, you know, and they've got kind of eclectic taste. Yeah? And you go and, and, and they've got the leg going, which is really old. And what it's saying is, God chooses an eclectic bunch, which is the church. Yeah? It, 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 I know I've said this many times before, but the, the church is a weird group of people who come together, and it's good. If you all want people to think the same view, and that's the same issue, which is often what a church wants, I only want to go to church with people who think exactly the same as me. You're better off joining a service club. Because that's the idea. They have their belief statement and you fit in with it and that's it. Uh, but whereas the church, if, if, 
it's kind of like if you have this idealistic view of the church and what it should be and how it's going to work out, you will end up disappointed because God's way seems to be election and eclectic, if that makes sense. Okay. To, it says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So it says, there's two things I want to do for the elect. I want to further their faith and I want to increase, further their knowledge of the truth. Faith and knowledge of truth. Okay? Faith, their belief, their trust in God, I want that to grow. And I want the knowledge of the truth to grow as well. Increasing both. Because you see, that's actually a sign of maturity, isn't it? You grow in faith, you grow in knowledge of God. And they're really linked together because in one sense, faith desires deeper knowledge. When you really trust God, you want to know Him more. And then as you grow in greater knowledge of the truth of God, you grow in faith, you grow in trust which desires are great. You understand there's a kind of a, a circular motion. The more we trust God, the more we want to know Him. And the more we know Him, the more we want to trust Him. Does that make sense? It is important for us to wrestle with different parts of Scripture, right? Because when we do that, what we're doing is we're wrestling with something which increases our knowledge of God or our knowledge of the truth. There's some bits in Scripture that you struggle with, right? Like how about election? God choosing people. How many questions have you got about that? Lots. Let's be honest. Yeah? So, when you, when you look at Scripture and you find those things which are difficult and rather than going, look, I've got my three favourite passages and there's a lot of Christians who do this, they just have, they're very limited. I, want, I know this about God and this about God. I do, actually, I don't want to read about God, so I leave that thing out, but I'll read this and this and this. Their faith is small because by wrestling with Scripture, you actually grow in your faith. And by growing in your faith, you, you, you desire more. Do you understand? Have you ever really struggled with a passage and gone, I really don't know what that means? And then, you fight with it, you fight with it, and you come to the bottom of it, and you go, that's great. And you feel really rich because of it. Yeah? Somebody? Thank you. Good. It's really important to expand in, in that way. Because if we have only a small amount of knowledge and a small amount of faith, we're easily led astray. And, and also, the other side of it is if we, if we have truth, without faith, we end up with no conviction and no real love for God. We're just encyclopedias, really, full of knowledge, which are useless. Okay. I, I, I think, I look back at my life and, and, and times right throughout, uh, even being a pastor and stuff, you don't start with the knowledge of everything. You, you, I, I remember um, a uh, Jody used to listen to this bloke and he'd sing and he had this song, We Are the Righteousness of God. And I remember that singing along, it was a good tune, it was a good song, but I was thinking, I haven't got a clue what this means. Righteous, we are the righteousness of God. That makes no sense. It's in the Bible, isn't it? 
And then this one day I was actually reading passages about it and suddenly I understood where the righteousness of God and, and, and that righteousness comes from God and, and it all came to life and, and the word righteousness just became to me this really yummy word where I really enjoyed it, you understand? But then later on, I talked about holiness for years and I never got what holiness really meant. And then you, you wrestle with it and then you come to understand it. And at each point, you grow in faith. And the same happened uh, about wrath. Wrath sounds horrible. And then but when you actually see it in a biblical context and you see Jesus bearing the wrath of God on the cross and, and suddenly it comes alive, the anger of God and the whole anger of God, and that's good. Do you understand? But you can only get it by wrestling with it. And as you wrestle with it, you grow in knowledge. And as you grow in knowledge, you grow in faith. And as you grow in faith, then you desire, hey, I'm going to look more. So I really encourage you when you're reading the scripture to, you know the bit that you want to breeze over because you just don't really like what it's saying? Go, I'm going to stop there and I'm going to drill in and see and see what it's teaching me. Okay. So, he did, he, he, his job, Paul, is to further the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Okay, or the, is in accordance with godliness. Faith and truth work out in life. If they don't, it's not real faith and it's not real truth, is it? They, they actually, the godliness here, the, the, the Greek word here, is more like about someone's inner response to the things of God. They have an inner response to what they, to their faith and their understanding and it works out in action and in worship. Okay? So that the inner knowledge and faith works out in, in consistency with action. Consistency of life. And so we don't start there when you first start off as a Christian. You don't really have much consistency at all. But as you grow in faith and truth, then you actually become more of a consistent person. The Holy Spirit's working in this all, all the time, and it results in godliness. So you grow in godliness. Now, just to say this, godliness doesn't bring salvation. Trying to be good doesn't save you, but salvation brings godliness. Yep. So we live in accordance with the truth that we know. So Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life. Godliness, which it leads to godliness, and all of this is in the hope of eternal life. Life forever, which is now as well. Because if it's eternal, it includes now and forever. And this life is actually living the way God designs to live. Living in the truth, living in faith, living, looking to God all the time. So we live with this incredible internal life. And it, it's a fullness of life. Which God, who does not lie, promised from the beginning of time. God promised this eternal life. He never lies, so it's completely reliable. If he promises it and he never lies, he will come through. 
better. Yeah? Promises are only as good as the faithfulness of the promiser. And if God never lies, he's always true, and he promises something, he will come through with it. He's always faithful to his coming promises. And this promise to bring life to his elect, it says, was from the beginning. He, he had planned his treasured, beloved, chosen children right at the beginning. Which, that's worth a study, isn't it? What does that mean? I don't, I don't know if we can quite comprehend it. But, you see, the, the, depth, we, the depth of his love are shown in the way that he works us into the promise. He, he, he includes us in his promise when we didn't deserve it. Okay. You know that in Genesis 3, just after the fall, uh, they were promised, uh, Eve was promised, you're going to have uh, the son is going to come from you who will crush the serpent's head and destroy the works of the devil. So the promise was there, but this is even before that part of God's plan for Jesus to save to to save His people before the foundation of the world. It's always been His plan, right? The Bible says that in a lot of places. It's good news, isn't it? Can you see what it does to our security? Okay. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised from the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. So at the right time, in the right season, in God's plan, Paul came, and he was included in God's plan, to speak the word, to speak about Jesus to a group of people on Crete, not Jews, but not godly people, lazy brutes, drunken thieves, right? He, at, at the appointed time, Paul preached to them. It wasn't quite in Paul's plans. God was, well, it wasn't Paul's plans, but God had a bigger plan. And from the beginning, before creation, right up to that point, God plan was working out. Does that do your mind? Yeah. In, in Romans 5, 6, Paul says, just at, do you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right moment, Christ came. At just the right time. And Paul is acting right now in God's perfect time. But you see, it's not just Paul, is it? If, if, if God had everything planned out to Paul and then he stopped, right, cut it there, or did his plan keep coming forward? To, are we included, are we encompassed in God's plan as his beloved and elect? As much as Paul was. We are his children and his witnesses in St. George. Aren't we? And actually, you know, I mean, if you think about it, and, and I've thought about this, uh, do you know, you've heard of Julius Caesar and you've heard of Martin Luther and a few people off that throughout history and you can actually look them up on Wikipedia. If you look up uh, Clyde Satterwhite, you probably won't find an entry. I don't know for sure. I'm going to try it. 
I don't know if rap routine isn't. They're actually loving me. I, well, I have a look. But actually, probably at about 190, as this is what scientists say, about 193 billion people have lived on Earth. How many of them actually remember? This is, this is throughout time, the last, say, 6,000 years. How many are, um, how many are remembered? But each of them lived lives where they had good days and bad days, didn't they? They achieved things, they worked. Some days they thought, what a pointless life. It's just drudgery and it's meaningless. And their stories aren't told. You, you know what I'm saying? But in every one of their lives, God was at work. You understand that? They weren't all with God's elect, but he has been working in all of their lives. And throughout all of that kind of patchwork of, of humanity over thousands of years, he has been bringing his plan. It's an overarching plan, and it's a plan that we're called into. Because some days, we think, I'm a pretty insignificant you know what I mean? And, and Paul probably thought the same thing. He, I don't think he knew that 2,000 years after people would still be reading his letters. He just wrote to Titus, his friend on Crete. I don't think that letter was meant, you know what I mean? And, and he, he just lived his small life. But God was using him. What I'm saying is we wonder sometimes about our purpose. Don't we? But in God's plan, he has an overarching plan, he has the big plan, which he's doing. But also, each of us is, is kind of included into his plan as well. Now, the times that we most wonder about God's plan for us individually is when life's hard, when things are going wrong. Is that true? That's, when things are going good and you seem to be, I don't know, Kicking some goals or hitting some runs or something like that. Mainly hitting runs because cricket's better than footy. Um, it's it's alright. But then you get out for a duck and it's like, what's God doing? What's the point of my life? That's what I, I, you, you know, I understand what I'm saying. And you know that verse in Jeremiah? It, it's a, a verse that you often get on posters on the walls and coffee mugs about, uh, what's that? I know the plans. I know the plans I have for you. Plans. To prosper you and give you a future, is that right? A hope in a future? Yeah. It's a good verse, isn't it? It brings a lot of hope. But when it was written, it makes it even gooder verse, if gooder was a word. It was written, if you read just that chapter, you'll find it was written to a group of people. They were in Israel, they'd been surrounded, the city had been overcome. They've been taken captive. They've been dragged off to a foreign land that they didn't want to be at. They saw the smoke in the background of the burning city. And, and then they arrived and they had lost everything. They'd lost their leadership. They'd lost their temple, which supposedly was their connection to God. They were strangers in a strange land. And then a prophet called Jeremiah speaks to them and says, Ah, oh, make yourself comfortable, people. You're going to be here for 70 years. Now, I think I can say for everybody in this room, maybe Ben, 70 years, he might make it through. 
But if I hear in 70 years you're going to return, I'll think, I'm not going to return. My children might, and my grandchildren might. True? But he says, I know the plans I have for you. Now he also said, by the way, to the people, settle down, don't sit miserably on the rivers of Babylon singing where we sat down and now we wet. Don't do that. Get jobs. Buy fields. Have children. Because. Why? Because I know the plans I have for you, friends, plans to prosper you. There's going to be a lot of pain and it's going to be passed on. But I have a plan which is far bigger than the little bit that you can see as you're a little person in little history. I'm working, and you're part of it, and your children are going to come back to this land and inhabit it. Yeah? And your grandchildren. And the nation's not finished, it's going to be rebuilt. And there is, and then Jeremiah goes on uh, two chapters later to speak of a new covenant which is going to come through Jesus. But what he's saying is, it all looks grim, but there's a big plan, and you might not think you've got anything, but you're part of that plan. And the little part you play is not a huge successful thing or, or anything like that. It, it, it's not. Those people weren't written about and don't know their individual story. In heaven, we're going to talk to those people and we're going to talk to, who knows, billions of people who have got stories to tell that we've never heard of. It's going to be a lot of testimonies, eh? It's going to be good. A lot of good stories. But you see, when we get weighed down with our small plans, we're wondering what's going on and everything seems hopeless and we've had a bad week or perhaps a bad decade, um, it's important to see God has a long plan in mind as well as the little plan for our lives and we are a part of his bigger plan and we were chosen and saved and given eternal life and as we grow in faith and knowledge we grow into that plan and we enjoy that plan even though uh, it's not all about that glory and we grow in grace and love and security and joy and no matter what we face, we know the end of the story. Don't we? And it ends up with us in a good place. Doesn't it? So the bad week or, or the bad year or the bad decade has, a, has an answer. And what God is saying, and what Paul's starting up to say, as God's chosen people, and there's a big plan, and I was drawn into it. And we're all in it. We're, we're under God's big plan. Uh, I, I put it like this. It's, it's like there's a pile of pages over here which is kind of loose and they're written and scrawled and that's Derek's life. But when, when I become a Christian, God picks up my pages and he ties them up and he puts them as a chapter in his book. Yeah? The Derek chapter. Yeah. There'll be about eight people who already know that when everybody else is going to be interested. No. But... And that book is the purposes and the plans of God. And each of us have got our own chapter and we're all part of it. And God is the one who can see the way he's, he's you know, drawing it all together. And it's, and it's like one of those patchwork books where each little bit is kind of a bit dull. But the whole thing looks great. And that's God's plans and purposes. And we're all part of it. And it's a good place to live, knowing that, isn't it? Part of God's big plans. It will result in joy. And that joy is 
eternal and it's growing. And although it's growing in this life, it's going to take a real uptick when we die and go to heaven. And it's going to keep growing for eternity. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to your big plan. Sometimes we don't see it and we get miserable and we wonder what's going on? It seems like you're losing or you're out of control and we just don't know. Father, remind us again of the truth of your big plan that we might live in faith, growing in faith, growing in the knowledge of you, growing in love for you, and that our lives will be just given to enjoying the peace and security that comes from knowing you're our Father, we're your children, and life is safe in your hands. And Father, that we would be seeking our heart, seeking to obey you, seeking you with all of our heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.